The views and opinions expressed by the following program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station or Webster Rock Hill Ministries, its management, or other hosts or underwriting sponsors. Programs presented by KWRHLP are for educational and entertainment purposes only. Well, it's a great day, listeners in listener land. This is In Tune with Arnold Stricker. And Ellie Wharton. Hey, we're glad that you tuned in today. In Tune's a two-hour weekly broadcast which focuses and reflects on issues that impact and connects our community in the greater St. Louis area. Our topics include the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, history, housing, humor, and justice. And as you as- can see... We don't we don't miss a tune, do we? we, we we're in tune with <laughs> we're everything. We're in tune with everything. So small contributions can add up to something significant, and that is a great statement for our guest today, Jan Burmeister. Who let me let me give you a little rundown on Jan. Folks. No, I don't think that's a. I don't think there can ever be little and rundown. Oh, that's true. When it comes it's, it's to kind Jan. Of an, uh, <laughs> She's amazing. Opposite statement. She wrote press kits for James Dobson and focus on the family. Press advance team for President Gerald Ford. Worked in President Carter's administration at the White House. Helped start up Pastor Jack Hayford's radio and tele- television ministry, Living Way Ministry in California. Worked the 23rd Olympic Games in Los Angeles, staging events and hosting VIPs. She was director of registration for the Reagan White House Conference on Small Business. Deputy Media and Marketing Director for the 200th Anniversary of the Constitution. Handled the personal mail of Vice President Bush. Part of a three-person team to transform the Oval Office from President Reagan to President Bush. Handled the personal correspondence of the Bush family. Wrote the presidential welcome posted at every U.S. port of entry. Worked on the measurements, clothing, and accessories outfitting the presidential audio animatronics at Disney World's Hall of Presidents. Wrote follow-up correspondence for the Bush dog, Millie. Part of the <laughs> oh yes, very important. But that is like super Signed important. Sign the paw print. That's right. And Par- Millie says, "Arf." <laughs> Part of the first TDD phone connection between the United States and Russia. Part of the Advancement Office of UMKC, publicist for Promise Keepers Men's Movement, program director of KC 150's Sesquicentennial for Kansas City, communications coordinator for Jack Hayford for startup of King's College and Seminary, handled the personal presidential correspondence for President George W. Bush, helped to create standards handbook on communication at the newly formed Homeland Security, and drafted condolence that President Bush 43 would hand carry to the families of the Columbia spacecraft explosion. Oh, wow. Amongst other things that I just, you know, I was running out of time and room. Welcome, Jan, to In Thank June. you. The most important was after all of that, I came home to take care of my mom and dad. That's correct. That is very important. And I want to know one thing, though. Did the Bushes, like, they get those uh, collection notices? You haven't paid. <laughs> <laughs> the national deficit is here. Oh, you all, yeah. boom. No. <laughs> <laughs> Now, tell us, you're from St. Louis. You're a St. Louis born, born, and, born raised. and raised. Yes, 1947. We lived in North St. Louis by Fairgrounds Park. And I remember, you know, taking my little red wagon down Sacramento Avenue and down Natural Bridge. And uh, then I, I actually lived at home with mom and dad till I was 26. And one of my first uh, jobs as a secretary was for G.H. Walker and Company, George Herbert Walker, his uncle. And that had nothing to do with nothing at the time, but I heard a lot about young George, and so I started following them, and I, every time I heard about George and Barbara, I paid attention, and that came into play many, many years later. But it was uh, when I was 26 years old, I decided to go out and have an adventure. So I, I quit my job, went to Los Angeles, wrote a proposal for Disney to use their characters in schools. 
uh, to teach kids about um, traffic safety and drug awareness. Well, they didn't go for that, but they hired me as a publicist for their traveling road show, Disney on Parade. So that was my first big adventure. So what was your training for to doing all that? None. She was actually the first millennial. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, I lived at home with mom and dad till I was 26, and then I went to California to, like, you know, pretend like I'm somebody. And, yeah, yeah, right. and then I got right, a job right. with a big firm. That's right. Exactly. You know, I mean, no, just... you had you had worked for uh, George Herbert Walker and as, as a secretary and... Well, I worked can... for, for the investment firm here in St. Louis that okay. his uncle owned. Okay. And uh, I, I learned my secretarial skills in secretarial school. Now, where did you learn your marketing skills? Uh, on the road with Disney. <laughs> that, that's really about the best way to learn marketing, you know. I mean, all of these people that go to school for marketing and everything, when it gets down to it. You either have it or you don't. That's it, you know. And it's like you have these certain thoughts, so you're just kind of a funny, witty person that comes up with stuff and sees sometimes just sees humor in everything. Well, yeah, and if you if you do feel like you have a gift, and mine is uh, detail, organization, mm-hmm. um, you take it wherever you go mm-hmm. and make something of it and, right. and love your job and stay in touch with people and the rest happens. It just happens. Now, why California? Why not New York? Uh, it or was, was it Disney it was specific? Disney, okay. Disney specific. Okay. Yeah, I, I I wanted to, to use the fascination of the characters to do something for children. So uh, traveling with the characters was a hoot. Um, Mickey and Alice were kind of uh, always fighting. Alice in Wonderland and Mickey Mouse. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Alice, why don't you do this? <laughs> and I did have to wear the costume a couple of times. Are those costumes like really hot? Oh my goodness, you can hardly breathe in them. Uh, but there are so many rules. You can never be seen without your head on. <laughs> well, that would be traumatic. <laughs> it's like, what happened to Mickey's head? Yeah. It's you know, small. It's, it's gone. It's, it's a human head. Well, the thing of it is, is you think about it, you're down here and the head is up here. So you take the head off and then like you're a headless character. But uh, Mickey and Minnie, you're actually inside. You can, you're uh, looking out the eyes. Really? Yeah. And, and breathing is a you have to learn to breathe inside. Oh, I would think that uh, down in those hot climates, yeah. sticky. Ooh. And the two times I wore them, I was just sitting. I was posing for an ice carving in Nashville, and then I was riding the Zamboni in St. Louis as Minnie Mouse. Uh, but the the ki- kids that wore these had to dance, so um, they had to really learn to control their breathing. It was a very interesting time. <laughs> wow, I bet. Now, uh, you, so you worked for them for a while, and then where did you go? I kind of want to kind of track some things, and then we're going to dissect this a little okay. bit. Okay. Well, when the, the show closed, the Disney on Parade show closed, it was a partnership of Disney and NBC. Uh, NBC, uh, the, ga- the gal and the guy that were running all of our logistics for Disney on Parade went into show business bookings and they hired all of the publicists from Disney because we were all without a job. So we we went to Brazil and and produced a, a cultural musical from Brazil. Uh, we did ice shows and Lipizzan Stallion horse shows. Ooh, and, yeah, the lip, all yeah, the Lipizzans, yeah. they are fantastic. And the Brazilian show we brought up from Rio and it was supposed to be here two years. So I sold my car and packed up my apartment and two months into that tour, the backers in Brazil backed out. So I found myself in Washington, D.C. without a job, and I'd never been to D.C., so I thought, well, I'll, I'll just do some sightseeing, and some friends of mine were having dinner there. They were in town from Los Angeles. So when we went to dinner, there were some people from the White House there. 
and they found out I had been an advanced person, a publicist for Disney, and they needed people. It was the heat of the campaign. They needed people they didn't have to train. So I got bit by the bug, the Potomac River bug. And this was uh, the Ford campaign? This was Ford campaign, mm-hmm. and the press office uh, people needed advanced people because mm-hmm. they were doing three cities a day. So that was my first my first real experience. And so dumb was I politically that after Ford lost, I went to Jody Powell in Carter's office and asked for a job. Because <laughs> I thought, sense, you know. serving yeah. your country, serving right. the White House. That's right. I, mean, I had no clue. No, no political affiliation. Hey, I'm no. just here to do my job. No. And of course, the answer was no. Um, so I got a job at the post office, the postal headquarters in statistical analysis division, and because I was good with numbers. And I did that for a while, and then I worked for General Scowcroft. They had an international consulting firm. That was three years. And then a friend of mine who I'd met at the White House said, you know, before you leave town, because I was about to come back to St. Louis, uh, why don't you work at the White House? And I said, well, because I tried that once and it didn't work. And she said, no, no, take a typing test. So I went into the typing pool office and I passed a test, 80 words a minute, no errors. They hired me immediately because back then we had these old IBM Selectric memory machines and Mm -hmm. we answered mail one piece at a time. And we had different paragraphs we'd put together and write an open and a close and then in an envelope and out it went. Well, before the days of cut and paste. Right. Before the right. days That's of cut right. and paste. This is all pre-computer. So, um, and Selectrics back then were a big deal. Oh, big deal. I remember a Selectric. I, I worked yeah. on a Selectric when I worked at West, Westinghouse years ago. Yeah, and I still have mine. Don't ever take my Selectric away Really? Now, yeah. for those youngsters who aren't aware of what a Selectric, it is an <laughs> IBM electric typewriter that has autocorrection on it, if you had the advanced model. But it was the... Cadillac, I should say, more like the Lamborghini of typewriters yes. right after the Hunt and Peck. Oh, my gosh, the Hunt and Peck. You just, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's how I made my way through college, hunting and pecking and doing term papers for people that couldn't type. Really? Yes. Well, that was a big. Yeah. That was a big deal. That I was over at WashU, and big I deal. I would stack them up, man. I tell you, yeah, word processors. And the beauty of the the Selectric was you could remove the typing font right and i i still have the, the 20 different typing fonts wow. and you could change the point type from yes 10 that's to 12. right Those the were little balls, balls. Yes. that's right yeah. the little balls yeah. See? See, i yeah. told you yeah we know, you know that stuff that's right so, you know, when i went to school i didn't have to eat ramen <laughs> i mean my nieces and nephews came over the first time they saw my selectric and said what's that <laughs> What is that? It's a collector's item. Yeah, it, it, I can imagine that. <laughs> well, I still need a typewriter for filling out forms. and You do. You do still yeah. need typewriters. And I even type on Post-it notes. <laughs> <laughs> Fun. That's how she advanced. <laughs> that's right. Waste no paper. Waste that's no right. paper. Right. Oh, that's the other. And make sure things could be read. That's the no, other thing. No, you wouldn't want to do that, would you? <laughs> Heaven forbid, in government, why would that happen? (laughs) That's the other thing that was instilled in me from little on. I watched my grandmother save grocery slips and use them for scratch paper, so I became Miss Frugal. And I recycle, to this day, I still wash out my plastic bags and reuse them and reuse them. Well, you must uh, know my mom because (laughs) (laughs) we have a sleeve where Uh, we save um, the bags from the grocery store, and we reuse them to line our mm. trash cans at home. And She's <laughs> talking about you again now. I know. It's, it's very true. <laughs> but my mom is like that, too. And she'll have stuff written all on little pieces of paper. You know, it just like, Mom, here's a scratch pad. 
no, it's okay. Well, and that transfers to other areas of your life. That's how I ended up collecting and organizing and gathering. If something was maybe going to be used someday, it had a place, and I knew where where to find it. So that skill of, of organization came in so handy when I, especially when I worked at the Bush White House, because I handled things that required knowledge of every every aspect of his life all the way back, and I had them, and I could put my hands on them. And, and we'll, we'll pick that one up, because you know, when we talked about that before the show began, I, I was very fascinated by that. It was like a, an encyclopedia closet yes, that it was. had all this information in it. It was. So you go from working, now you're, you're working kind of in the Carter administration. Right. And what happens then? Well, uh, that was over. He lost. And I thought, oh, boy, oh, boy, you know, I know some people that know the Bushes and the Reagans, so I, I'm set because I'm on the West Wing already. I know the ropes. No. No. <laughs> no. That was my second political lesson. You know, they you, you dance with those that brought you and you kick the rest out. So I had to leave. And when I was in L.A. with... Um, Disney. I went to Church on the Way, Jack Hayford's church, mm-hmm. and stayed in touch with him. He said, you know, let me know how you're doing. And every time he was in town, I'd pick him up at the airport, take him to the convention. We would chat. I would fill him in. And he came in for the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, and I was about to lose my job at the White House. And I told him that. And I said, but I, I'm still, I still have a few avenues I might try. And he said, well, the Lord's really telling me to start a radio ministry. And I need somebody to start that. Well, I didn't want to do that, and I didn't want to go to California. It was too far from mom and dad and home. And he said, well, let's pray about it. Very dangerous thing to do. So <laughs> he said, we'll set a deadline by March 30. If you haven't gotten renewed at the White House, then you call me and you come to California. March the 30th, Ronald Reagan was shot. Mm. And I thought, Bush is going to be president. That's my in. Well, God doesn't kill presidents so that I can work where I you know. <laughs> no? he, he doesn't do that. Wow. So I called Jack Hayford on the evening of March 30th, and I said, I will be out there August 1. So I spent the next four years developing Jack's uh, radio and television ministry. From scratch, I had no money. I had no resources. I had a table and a typewriter and a telephone. And I would transcribe all of his sermons. Wow. I would edit those written transcripts down with a stopwatch to 22 minutes. I would write the open and close. And then I would answer all the mail that came in. And we did that every day. Wow. Every day. Uh, until we finally got some resources and I, I got some help. But that was a wonderful thing. And four years later, 1984, the Olympics, 23rd Olympiad was in Los Angeles. Right. And my surrogate father out there, who I lived with uh, him and his family when I first got out there, uh, he was the head of Ernst & Young, Ernst & Winnie. Oh, yeah. And he, they were the result systems operators. And so they had a lot of stuff to involvement. And they got a lot of tickets. And they got, he, he said, I want my clients to get, have the best experience ever. So I asked Jack Hayford if I could take a leave of absence and worked on the Olympics for six months. So. And you did that and entertained uh, VIPs during we did. Right up to that time. We did. And during we the met Olympic them at time. the airport with champagne and music, and and had gifts and flowers in their rooms, and they got all the best tickets. And it was just one of one of my life lifelong experiences in a favorites vein was the opening of the uh, 
opening ceremonies of the Olympics. I didn't get to go to that, but I went to the dress rehearsal. And to see the whole world come together and lock arms and sing together and to come together for such a good cause, I thought, why can't we do this all the time? Um, that's a, a memory I'll never forget. Now, was that where the guy shot the arrow and lit, it went all the way across the Coliseum? No, this is where the, the stairs came out. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He and and when he lifted him up to the flame. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting my Olympics all messed up. <laughs> Happens. You know, one of the things I I hear in your discussion of and and how you're laying out the things that you've done is everything built upon another, and you didn't. You're right. Dismiss skills or people that you had met connections, uh, interpersonal relationships, you know, the connection of people, how you've done things, it all kind of continues to build. And it's almost like it grows because as you moved then back to DC, right? you know, you were, you were involved uh, with the Bushes the, when he was vice president. In 1987, I finally decided I wanted to work for them. So I practically camped out on their doorstep. I, I got an apartment, it took me a year. Uh, and I wrote letters and I had lunch with anybody I knew that worked there, the career people, and I said, "Is there? let me know of any, op- any openings. And finally, I got a job, 60% pay cut, uh, answering telephones in Bush's scheduling office. And that's where I got in, but uh, his personal assistant and I had a lot of uh, faith sharing going on, and she started asking me to write letters and do things for her. Well, uh, Bush's secretary's husband got ill and ultimately died, but she was out for about two months, so Patty asked me to come over and fill in, and I ended up handling his personal stuff. But I didn't plan that. I didn't plan any of this. Mm -hmm, It just just all happened. I felt called. I felt called to Hayford. Uh, and God gave me the skills for that. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot there. I mm-hmm. learned a lot about um, copyrights and licenses and uh, all of that, publishing. Uh, but everything I learned along the way, I, it seemed I used in the next job. And right. I, I just, I call it God's private university. Mm-hmm. I only went to college for a year. But if you if you find something you love and you use the skills you know you have and you enjoy your job and you stay in touch with people, build real relationships. Right, right. Not just like DC, who you know and you know where you work, and then if you forget about them. I, I'm to this day. I, as a matter of fact, this morning I mailed a letter to the woman I worked for in the Carter White House. Wow! You mean you actually like wrote it on a piece of paper, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it, and typed the address with my Selectric typewriter. <laughs> Which ball did you use? <laughs> Courier. 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 Of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Career. She's Ten got a points. great sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, what fun. <laughs> yeah. It's getting harder to get ribbons for those, and it's I getting bet. harder to get them repaired. I bet. There's one shop here in St. Louis, Jones Typewriter. I was going to say, there's one Absolutely. shop. Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. That is amazing, though, because um, when you think about everything says risk taker mm-hmm. about everything that you have said, and you don't look like a risk taker. Well, what's to risk? Well, everything you you went we pretty much based just on faith. You yeah, were in cities yeah. that were expensive, yeah, first of yeah. all. Well, you know, under Jack Hayford, I learned too that it's not the the plans you have; it's the plans he has. And when you don't know why something's happening, sometimes you won't. Mm-hmm. Um, you, 
I uh, several times had to ask, what am I doing in this city? Why why is this job not not working out long term? He may have you in one town one day on one street corner to say one word to one person who's going to go out and change the world. That's how he works. Absolutely. So you just you let you fall back in his arms and let things happen. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> We've been talking to Jan Burmeister, who has a wow, unbelievable kind of history of what she has done in working for presidents and working for. Uh, I'm going to call famous people that you hear on television and the radio and you see in books and, you know, that we never get a chance to rub shoulders with. But she's been able to be impacted by a lot of, of these people. And she's and also to and to impact them. That's right. right. And, and those are the kind of stories that we're going to be talking about uh, in the next half hour and also after the 12 o'clock hour. But these are these are lessons, folks, that I think we can learn that no matter where we're at, we take what we've been given and we run with it. That's and right. we don't look back. And, you know, if, if we don't think I don't have a degree or I don't think I'm qualified for that, I'm sure Jan thought that many times, but it never stopped her. Right. Well, the secret is, is to always know how to type on a, <laughs> on a, a, on a non-electric typewriter that's because right. then that's, you can really fly on a selectric. That's right. I mean, that's, the, that's my takeaway from the first half an hour. She <laughs> was... <laughs> Uh, well, folks, our takeaway is we're going to have to take a break. This is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton of Intune. You're listening to KWRHLP 92.9 FM, your community radio station in Webster Groves, Missouri. Welcome back to Intune. This is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton. We're talking to Jan Burmeister. I think and we're doing more than talking. We're, we we're, having a, we're having a big sit-down talk. Like a big powwow. Powwow. Uh, and it would, it's a relaxed powwow. It is. A, right. Nobody gets their head chopped off in the end. <laughs> oh, what? We all get to be winners. Yay! Yay. <laughs> and there's no consolation trophies here. No. No. Everybody's a winner. Everybody. That's right. No, we're it. talking to Jan, who has had an outstanding and unbelievable, from our vantage point, at least from my vantage point. I think from everybody's vantage point. I mean, my goodness. I, I, when I was when I initially read some of her stuff, I was like, what? 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 Well, I couldn't believe that what? you got her to come all the way here to good old Webby G and to be on our little humble radio well, station. Oh, my know, goodness. We, oh. we scooped all the other folks. <laughs> yes, now she's getting ready to really get the invitations. Huh? Now, everybody, now we'll, uh, we'll see her in print media, maybe the local print media. The metropolitan print media, or maybe somebody in the television station. That's no. right. See, that has happened to us. We have we've been the first on certain stories, uh-huh. and then the next thing ah. you know, we see it happening again and again and again. <laughs> and it's not just happened once. Okay, so we know they're listening. We can be trendsetters. We are the trendsetters. That's right. That's great. So, Jan, I ask you off the air that it would take a lot of courage to up and move. And to develop a proposal, like you saw a need at Disney, and you developed a proposal to take it to them, to knock on the door, and to, right. to get a hearing from them. Because nowadays, you won't even be able to get through the front gate to see the secretary to the secretary of the secretary who would get the proposal. Well, I had this total support of my family. And it's not that they were trying to kick me out, but they encouraged me to go and, and pursue an, a new adventure. And I had been taking dictation till 7 o'clock at night downtown, and I got tired of that. There had to be more to life than that. Uh, matter of fact, uh, out of 
my one year of college, I worked at McDonnell Douglas as a receptionist, a lobby receptionist. And after three years of that, I said, there's gotta be more to life than this. So there's gotta be more to life than this drove me a lot, but I also started feeling called to to make some difference. And with, with Disney, it was wanting to use the characters to impress children on important topics like traffic safety and drug awareness. Um, more, more to life than this was to get out and live in another city for a change, and that was Los Angeles. As a matter of fact, with Disney, I traveled, and we went to a new city every three weeks for two years. So I was on the road for two years. Wow. And with the White House Conference on Small Business, I went to all 50 states in one year. All 50 except Arkansas. So when I got Go home, figure. guess what I did? You went to Arkansas. I drove to the state line, put my foot over. <laughs> <laughs> Had to complete How come the they test. Didn't get Wait, down you know to what Arkansas? it is? She dipped, but she didn't jump. <laughs> <laughs> it was in the. Was there, I think there's like a, a lake that crosses the border. It's like I drove right across. That's and right. Put my fingers through the water there. So why why didn't you get to Arkansas at that? Well, that was the one. I I guess I was on vacation for a week, okay. and that's where they were the week I was on vacation. Gotcha. Okay. So. Had to make it. I didn't know if it was left <laughs> off for other reasons or or why that why uh, no, that would be. No. So so we left at the first half hour that you had moved to D.C. and you were working in the uh, working for Vice President Bush right, at the time. Right, and then um, I was uh, tapped to help out when his secretary's husband got ill and she had to be absent for a while. And so I spent a couple of months doing that and that was right before he won the presidency. So they needed someone to answer the 110,000 congratulatories that came in. And well, that would have been a, 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 as soon as they told me that I was just like my arms ah. tired. Yeah, I'm just so, okay. Brain. Here's here's Miss Organizer, and so they threw me in a room with all this mail, and the first thing I did was separate the general public from the categories I called them: the elected officials, the academia, the university presidents, the corporate. CEOs, the, the obligatories, you know. and you could usually <laughs> tell from the stationery which yeah. was which. So that that was my initial cut, and then how wrong I was. This is a little side story. Uh, when I got back to the general public mail after we answered all of the the, the big shots, uh, I was I was opening all of the general public mail, and we had two reply cards to each one. Thank you, and we're we're looking forward to serving our country. Blah blah. And one was engraved and one was just printed. Well, I'm, I'm in, and, and here's a number 10 envelope, hand scrawled, crooked stamp, opened it up, folded yellow pad, Sam Walton. <laughs> Go figure. Go figure. Blue light special. <laughs> yeah, this he is, did it himself. That's Probably right. was sitting in his pickup truck at this the time. This is the 100th anniversary of, of Sam Walton. And so wow. they have a big display, and I encouraged them to go to the library and get that original and put it on display this no year. No kidding. So I put him in touch with the Bush Library for that. Wow. That is too... Now, I can imagine that the ones that were engraved, thank you, send money, was part of it. <laughs> The other well, one was like, thank you, you're a great patriot. The other was, thank you, send money. <laughs> the most important thing was that I took the people that were suspect friends and relatives and built a database of who was who in the life of the Bushes because the White House gets used to get... 60,000 letters a week, and we had 130 letter readers, and they didn't know who was who, and 
and I was in charge of getting his, their personal mail. So they had to know who was family and friends, and a lot of people will write and say, hey, George and Barr, you know, sounded like they knew him and they never did. Um, so the database I built was of 7,000 of their closest friends. Now, folks, this isn't a computer database. This, yeah. is, this is a database of paper. <laughs> well, probably no. probably index cards or something like no, that, right? No, we started, actually started. Uh, they, they created a little program, a very simple, and I took their Christmas card list and started. Well, that database has been used all these years, and they used it for his funeral invitations last December. Wow. But it well, was, now that explains why there was a certain person who was left off. See. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to weren't You weren't invited? <laughs> <laughs> that explains it. Yeah, who was who? I, actually, I took Chris's invitation. <laughs> he was on the list, but... But it was so important <laughs> to them because he was such a letter writer, and they both were. They both they both corresponded in... That's what I understand. A lot. Yes, a lot. Handwritten. Uh, it was so important to them that nobody... That that didn't stop just because they were at 1600 Pennsylvania. So, um, yeah, we we uh, wanted the male readers to know, oh, send us that one because right, that's right. that's their former neighbor or that's the kid's babysitter or that was his former secretary at the CIA. So, so would you sit down with him and say, hey, do you know these people? Or would you send him, write him a note or get, have a list of Well, names? I took their Christmas card list so I knew okay. who they knew. And then there were groups of people that I, uh, that I entered automatically. I had lists of all of his former staff, his close staff at mm-hmm. all the places, United Nations, mm-hmm. uh, every place he ever worked and uh, so I put all those in I mean we I, I had two volunteers and and two full-time people helping me but yeah we we answered a lot of them. and then Millie's mail so when <laughs> Millie's book came out kids Millie wrote know, a book uh, yeah, it's called yeah. ARF <laughs> we pause for humanity <laughs> you should look look on Amazon you can still get it Millie it's called Millie okay and it's a, a dog's life in the White House must it? be a dog to be a dog dog in the White House <laughs> you dog you you dog you what a dog life so yeah we needed to, a way to sign those letters so we took Millie's paw and dipped it in ink and p- <laughs> uh, this is a this is a very interesting story because it gets more involved <laughs> Go ahead with this. And then we had a, a rubber stamp made. We, we cleaned up the, the paw print and, and had a rubber stamp made of it. Well, that was, was fine on paper, but it didn't stick to photographs. So we had to go to the FBI office and use the fingerprint ink to roll across the rubber stamp. And that stuck, but it took a long time to dry. <laughs> So we had Millie's photographs signed with this paw print with FBI fingerprint ink and drying powder. It's paw print. All over. Uh, she was paw printed That's by right. the FBI. Our, our tax dollars at work. <laughs> Your tax dollars at work. So any given day, my office was covered with all of this, and people would walk in and say, was this part of your job description? That was all, and all other things that are, you're asked to do. That's, That's that last right. line. That's right, exactly. Now, you have an interesting story of the transition of the Reagan and Bush administrations. Yes, um, on the day that a president, new president, is sworn in, the former president, soon to be former president, leaves the Oval Office at 10 a.m. And then they have coffee together and they go together to the Hill for the swearing in. We had between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. after the inaugural parade when the new president would come to the Oval Office for the first time to transition that office. 
And maybe they wanted their family pictures on the credenza. Maybe they wanted a different statue over there. Maybe they wanted the pictures rearranged. And then their own stationery put in and their own things in, in the drawer, in the Oval Office Did drawer. someone even a, a different desk? No, they kept, he kept, uh, Bush kept the same desk that Reagan had. Okay. They have that choice. But if, if the furniture movers would have been there if, if he had requested a okay. different desk. So um, interesting because I opened the, the drawer and there was a note inside that said, don't let the turkeys get you down, signed Ron. <laughs> and I thought it was Ron Kaufman, one of the, you know, one of the <laughs> campaign guys. It was Ronald Reagan. He has a unique R. <laughs> <laughs> so we had it encased in acrylic and he used it as a paperweight for years. Yeah. It's in his library. And you found some now. jelly bellies in the back. <laughs> yeah. I ran my hands around the back of the drawer, and there was a package of jelly bellies in the back. Yeah, yeah. But the most important thing about those few hours was I got to pray over the Oval Office. And I asked the Lord to bless all who came and all those who served in that room and prayed over the furniture and the doorways. And I, I'll never forget that moment either. That was another life moment that... Uh, that I'll just I'll never forget. Those are unbelievable. Out with the old demons, yes. in with the new ones. <laughs> it's, okay. it's fascinating to me that those experiences, like again, you see the Oval Office, and I'm sure President Bush, as Vice President, had been there many times. Mm. But then when you're there and now you're in charge, did you see a difference in him at all between being Vice President and President? I didn't. That's just who he was. He's, he, he is the real deal, and the office did not affect him. I mean, he respected the office and never went in the office without a, without a shirt and tie on and a, and a coat. Um, but no, he, uh, he was always the same. I had a big file in my office called What a Guy. And every time he did something so out of the ordinary that it was like I can't believe he's doing this. I can't. I, he takes the time. The hardest part of working for them was to hear what the media would say, or other people would say, or politicos would say, and to know how they really spent their personal time without cameras around, always doing for other people. They would answer children's mail. That would you know, they would spend the weekend at Camp David handwriting answers to student mail. I, nobody ever reported that. Nobody knew, but that's who they were. That so, wasn't salacious enough. Keep oh, in mind, right, <laughs> right. You know, it, we have to. You know, it goes back to the the man bites dog kind of thing, right? It's not in, it's not important when dog bites man, but man bites dog. Yep. You know, and I can see where that would be frustrating because you're seeing them from a personal level, and you know, the job of the media is really to kind of make everybody look bad. Mm. You know, that's what sells papers. That's what gets ratings. I don't understand that. It is, um, you you're, know, you're from media, I, and you know. And you know what? It was one of those things that I always fought against. You know, when, when mm. they used to start off with the, if it bleeds, it leads. Mm. And I used to say, why do we do that every day? You know, I mean, you get people, they, they've had a hard day and they come and sit down and, and then they go through 20 minutes of murders and carjackings mm. and this and that and bombings. And, and man, and you wonder why everybody mm. has to have a drink. Sedatives, <laughs> exactly, and opioids, <laughs> or, or go to uh, uh, get some assistance with a psychiatrist, or yeah, yeah, because you know we don't want to hear the good things, mm -hmm. and that again goes back to you know media giving people what they want. Yes, you know, I mean, if we just had a feel good station, would anybody listen? 
not for long. Mm. You know, for some reason that human psyche wants to hear how bad somebody the else bad has stuff. it. Yeah. Or they want to see that that uh, carjacking car being chased or they want to mm. see you know the guy being gored by the bull you know on the exactly. run on the run yeah we don't want to mm. see that everybody made or it the safely car crash at yeah. the indy 500 right i mean just think about how it is on the freeway when there is somebody stopped on the side of the road they could just be over there because they pulled over because you know what a bee was in the car and i needed to let it out uh, I've had and that, that will happen. create that's right yeah. and that will create a traffic jam because everybody's going to drive past and want to go whoa what's yeah. going on <laughs> now you you were with uh, the bush white house until he left till he left okay right and um i didn't quite know for a while what i was going to do after that but then i same thing i wanted to transfer everything that they had there resource-wise to Houston where his post-presidential office would be and I asked uh, he had long-term staff already hired but I was going to go back to St. Louis as a matter of fact I was going to work at Hallmark that was going to be my next quest so but I said first I want to help set up the offices down there because all of those books you saw Mm -hmm. in my closet needed to be taken uh, they were losing a lot of stuff a lot of uh, you know at the White House you could pick up the phone talk to the switchboard they could plug you into any country any embassy any in minutes well you know we needed all the phone numbers and we needed all of the messages uh, we got so many requests for, for national conventions could you please write send us a letter from the president well you had to research and you had to compose a wonderful greeting to this crowd and we we kept all of those messages and I had them all in notebooks so all of that went down and then um, I got to stay in their house for a little while um, while they were in Kenny Bunkport and just kind of watched their things what are some stories from the Kenny Bunkport house (laughs) well this was their temporary home while their new home in Houston was being built and and everything that could go wrong did go wrong Um, Millie's fleas hatched a couple days after they left, and I got eaten alive. And then the house settled. It was a drought, and the alarms went off in the middle of the night, so the neighbors got to know me really fast. And uh, there was a moth invasion. I I would find moths on the ceiling of the kitchen, and I would spray them down, and they'd fall to the brown linoleum floor. I'd clean them up every day, and I finally asked somebody at the office, what's going on here? They said, well, there's some food open somewhere, and I looked and looked, and it was da-da-da-da. There it was, a box of Millie's dog food. <laughs> I was going to blame it on the dog. I, yep, that's I right. opened it, and yuck, you know, all the larvae. And moths just, yeah, oh, oh, yeah. yeah. So I got yeah. rid of that, and then um, one night, I was sweeping the, they had a sun roof with a roof on it and two doors out of their bedroom opened out and nobody told me that secret service had rigged all the doors and windows to lock when they close so i was sweeping the pecan leaves off of this roof and the wind gust came and closed the doors and i'm locked out on the roof <laughs> and without an, any identification on her or, or communication. nobody around and it was a 14 foot drop so I decided to try to climb up and over because the, the, the front drop was probably only 11 feet and it was on, onto grass instead of bricks. Well, as I'm coming over the top of the house, these cars are driving by because people would drive by and go, this is where the bushes live. Well, I couldn't, 
I could, I could see the headlines. You know? hey, <laughs> yeah, hey. exactly. Where's staff or commit suicide? You know, no, no. Yeah, so. as she falls off the roof. You know? <laughs> Waving it. <laughs> so I went back to the mudroom and I, and I jumped. I finally jumped and I remembered him talking about parachutes. When you land with your parachute, you know, you bend your knees and you buckle. Well, I did that and I landed, but I had to walk a mile to his secretary's house to get a key to get back to the house. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> And Linda opened the door, and I had dirt on my face and sticks in my hair. And she said, what have you been doing? And it was, don't even ask. Don't even ask. Yeah. Have, have you written a book about all of this? No. I know. You don't do that. You uh, don't? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, because it just seems like a fun read well, to me. Well, if, if, if you have a, a federal job and an interesting job, you know, a lot of people write books about that. But when you when you have such personal experiences, you don't do that. You can't do that. No, I, I wouldn't. But it's fun to talk about. <laughs> it is a lot of it's fun, fun to listen to and i was so privileged to be able to be a part of, of bush's funeral last december um that was that was my last service to him and using the database that we built years and years ago uh, we were able to get the people that needed to be at those two funerals to the funerals um yeah he died on a friday night and by saturday seven thousand emails had gone out wow um inviting people to specific events. And to track that down when we hadn't heard back in two or three days, we started calling people and they said, I didn't get an invitation and they were so upset or disappointed. And I said, look in your spam. (laughs) That's right, exactly, look in your spam. Oh, there it is. (laughs) So, uh, Can't blame the US Postal Service anymore, can you? (laughs) No, And, and again, that was handling their friends and their acquaintances the way they would have wanted them handled and that was yeah that, following up like you said is very important yeah. because they were being yeah. they were feeling disappointed and hurt yeah. and there it was like you said in their spam folder yeah that so. made all all the difference to me in the world to to be able to to finish that that last chapter no so. doubt no doubt that is such an amazing story you know and and the thing is is that being here with you and just feeling your your energy you know, is is it, I can imagine that you were a very calming source within that grouping of people you because kinda, you're very unassuming. You kind of had to be. I mean, there were many. I worked a lot of weekends and 14-hour days. And matter of fact, here's another side story. I would call my parents if I was going to spend the night at the White House because if I was going to work till 10 o'clock and then be back at 7 in the morning, there was no – Right. And I had a couch and a refrigerator. So I'd call Mom and Dad, and I'd say, don't try to call me. I'm going to stay, sleep at the office tonight. And they'd say, are you going to be all right? It was like <laughs> the White House. 30 uniformed guards, I think so. <laughs> that was kind of yeah, funny. Amongst the other things that we don't know. But – you know, there were often I didn't I didn't get to be in the West Wing during that time. I didn't have China cups. I had styrofoam. I heard the helicopters take off. I didn't get to do the traveling, but I knew that what I was doing was important, and I, I was making a difference in their life, and that's all that counted. Right, that's right. All that counted. Now, you know, you didn't uh, talk about the work that you did for Kansas City 150. Oh yeah, which was uh, after the Bush White House, right? And also for promise keepers and then you actually went back to the white house okay uh i I wanted to work at hallmark so when i got home i said mom and dad i'm going to move to kansas city okay i had a meeting with mrs hall who was a friend of barbara bush hall of hallmark and um 
she said she introduced me to all the people at home. Well, they couldn't figure out what to do with me. They didn't have a slot that required the things that I had done. But she said, "Hang on, you know, we'll keep interviewing. We'll keep our eye open for something for you." Well, I ended up working at UMKC in the meantime, and then all of a sudden, I heard Don Hall, Don Hall, give a speech about Kansas City turning 150. Bingo, make a difference. Use the stuff that I remember the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. Those guys could put on a show for us. So I wrote a proposal and I said, you can either have a cake at City Hall one afternoon on for the sesquicentennial or you can have this. And I played a video of all of the events I'd worked on, the inaugurals and the Olympics. And they said, that's what we want. And they put me in charge of it. Well, you know, we could hire you here in Webster because we're at the 150th anniversary of the Webster Grove School District. That's correct. Really? Yes, we are. And Arnold is a is a school board member. I'm retired, Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> and that means... I'm tired. That means what? <laughs> well, and then um, when that was over, Jack Hayford had called and said, I have this seminary now, which is set up a, a communication office. I said, I'll give you one year. And I was going to go back to Kansas City and pursue Hallmark again. Well, during that year, 9/11 happened. Mm. So ins- wow. instead of returning to DC, I ended—I mean, to Kansas City—I ended up in DC. But that's that's another provision of God. He not only provided in my times of unemployment, but when I was going out for that one year in, for Jack Hayford, uh, I tried to sublet my apartment, and it just didn't pan out. Well, God knew I wasn't going back. I've been on a 20-year detour. Mm. Uh, because from D.C., I, I worked at Homeland Security and then came home to take care of mom and dad. So I, I, I still haven't made it back to D- to Kansas City, but I plan to one of these days. So. Very interesting. The, the whole circular thing, how events uh, move together, I wanted to read one thing before we went to break. And this is something that uh, President George H.W. Bush wrote, Life Principles. Life is an adventure. Your life's been an adventure. Yeah. Develop and keep a genuine enthusiasm and zest for life. You know, that's what makes life enjoyable, and it doesn't become mundane or routine when you are filled with vigor and you have and you have a zest for life. You know, it reminds me of this, we talk about soap, the soap zest. <laughs> you know, zest for life. It makes you feel invigorated. That's right. Oh, I mean, I'm feeling really supercharged just listening to your story. And that is just such an amazing story because it's really almost like the like a fairy tale story, the things that people dream of being able right. to do. And you've done them. Like some people would say one thing that you did would be that's a great life, but you've done all these things. It's like, holy smokes, are you kidding me? You know, what? what is going on there? Didn't plan it. Well, we're planning to be back in the next hour to uncover more of this with Jan. This is Arnold Stricker with Ellie Wharton of Intune. You're listening to KWRHLP 92.9 FM, your community radio station in Webster Groves, Missouri.